Um, Let's uh, open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 28. Um, Yeah, Marlies was just saying, you know, seeking him first. We all need to learn that. Uh, It's illogical. Yeah, it says that in Matthew chapter 6, to to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added unto you. It's something we, uh, we can continually be encouraged about. So thank you. Isaiah chapter 28. So I'm going to talk about, well, the title of the talk is Speaking in Tongues. And um, I'll read a couple of Old Testament uh, prophecies of speaking in tongues to tie it together. There'll be a a mix of Old and New uh, Testament scriptures this morning. But we'll start in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts, or children. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So uh, this is a wonderful prophecy of uh, stammering lips and another tongue. Will God speak to his people? Um, And uh, and it says, uh, then flows on, and it says this, this aspect of God speaking to his people with stammering lips and another tongue, that is part of a rest, the true rest, um, the true spiritual Sabbath. The Old Testament has a Sabbath type of uh, one day a week to rest and uh, not to do any work or anything. Uh, the Lord's trying to teach uh, people in the Old Testament times to trust him, that even though you've got things to do, you, you force yourself to have a break, the Lord will still bless you. Um, and it's also good for people to just have a break. It's good for the body. But here it's saying in the future, when there is this whole stammering lips and another tongue, that'll be the true rest. Those that are weary can enter their rest then. Weary of finding out what God wants, confused about what God's uh, commandments are. Um, Weary of that. Like, is God even in this world? You know, they're weary of all these things. Uh, Religion presenting God in a bad way. You know, people that claim to uphold the Bible, they're doing horrible things. Weary of all this stuff associated with God. But uh, the weary can have their rest. But then, as uh, we all know, the, the last five words there, yet they would not hear. Okay? So let us have ears to hear, to understand uh, this stammering lips in another tongue, entering the rest where the weary may rest. But we're talking about speaking in tongues today. Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. Where is it? Zechariah. Oh, no, it's Zechariah. After Micah, is it? Okay, I saw that one earlier. You could look in the contents page as well. Ah, there we go. Zephaniah, before Haggai, after Habakkuk. Uh, Look in your contents page. 
Um, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9. So Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Wonderful prophecy here, and even verse 13, we're talking about rest. They shall feed and lie down. They'll be at rest, at peace, you know, comfortable um, in their surroundings or what they have or what they don't have. But, um, but it starts with a pure language. You know, it says elsewhere that the tongue is an unruly member. Uh, it sets on fire of hell. You know, the tongue flaps about it's of its own accord and says horrible things. The tongue itself, the known language, is not a pure language. And so this prophecy here of a pure language and purity only comes from God. So this pure language that comes from God, where people can call upon him and serve him with one consent. Also a great prophecy of um, a worldwide thing, not just those that are ethnic Israelites, but all over the world, beyond Ethiopia, you know, the dispersed all over the place, and people won't be ashamed of him. Uh, a great prophecy. And, uh, and even it says in verse 12, in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, a people that are of a contrite and humble heart, that rely on God to lift them up instead of them lifting themselves up. Goodness comes from him. As we heard in testimony, we can't please him on our own. We need him to make us good. You know, as Marlies said, she thought that there was something else she needed to do to make herself good. Well, no, there's nothing you can do. It's God who makes us good. And it's all encapsulated in this wonderful prophecy. And it's all wrapped up in this pure language that, uh, that God will give a people. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marvelled, saying one to another, Behold, 
Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea, and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, and in parts of Libya and Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So these people miraculously received the Holy Spirit after they were seeking the Lord for this promise, and they spoke in tongues. There was about 120 people there. And others that uh, were standing around could tell their own languages. These people that are from Galilee are speaking these languages of other people. How is it that they could know this? It must be a miracle. And they were confused. There was no teaching there at all. They were confused as to what was going on. In fact, some people thought they were just full of new wine. They were blabbering away and drunk. You know, there was was nothing that... uh, These people understood by what they saw and heard. It was all confusing. No learning was had, even though they could recognise the languages. Go on to verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them. And this here is amazing, what Peter says. He was fully inspired by the Holy Ghost. Uh, He was an impetuous man. And uh, it was proven when he was walking with Jesus. But here, that impetuousness drew upon the power of the Spirit. It's amazing the inspiration that Peter comes out here. When you put it into context, how did he know this? How did he know to uh, to quote these scriptures that uh, that he does? We'll go on. Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, or nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, pour out. And so he could see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Uh, And he drew upon this uh, prophecy in Joel uh, that he quoted here, sons and daughters, young men, old men, you know, uh, amazing things, speaking about the incredible things of the kingdom of God. And even the, the servants and the handmaidens, those that are poor and wretched, He'll pour out uh, his spirit in those days and they'll speak about the wonderful things of God. Down to, uh, he goes through, as we know, an explanation there down to 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. So when people receive the Holy Ghost, when God the Father 
sheds forth the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost is poured out upon a people, there's something you see and hear, something tangible. It's not just a feeling. You know, we hear from testimony that uh, there's often feelings that go along with it, wonderful feelings. I definitely had a wonderful feeling of peace. But there's something that can be seen and heard, which is so important. And we heard, read in uh, verse uh, 4 that that thing that was seen and heard was speaking in tongues. Down to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it's a wonderful little package there, inspired by, uh, by the Holy Ghost. Uh, Peter explained to them and said, This is what you need to do. Repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as we read... When you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in tongues, something that you can see and hear. Over to chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. Wonderful little story here. People were forced to scatter as a result of the persecution of the Christians and they, when they were forced to scatter, they then spoke about God wherever they went. And so uh, it just blossomed the kingdom of God. So Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed just as Jesus Christ did when he was walking on the earth. Verse 8. And as a result, there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, possibly a magician. You know, We see magicians nowadays uh, through trickery, uh, bewitching people that, uh, wow, it's amazing. Verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. So before Philip rocked up on the scene, this man Simon uh, convinced others through his sorcery that he was a man of God and had this great power. Verse 11, and to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed. So Simon could see, based on his understanding of sorceries, magic, uh, whatever, he could see that there was something amazing uh, with this bloke called Philip. And so he also believed that that was incredible. And he was baptised and he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And receiving the Holy Ghost, we've already read, there's something you can see and hear that happens. Verse 18, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He never offered Philip money to be able to operate these miracles, but he offered money to the apostles when he saw them receive the Holy Spirit. He could see something incredible, and he wanted that in his bag of tricks to indeed use for his own purposes. Verse 19, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. Now there, Peter's perceived that Simon was in the gall of bitterness. Maybe he was annoyed. He wanted to be the main man in Samaria. For a long time, it said, he was bewitching people. And then all of a sudden, this other thing's come up that's usurped him. But he doesn't know what he's playing with. He's playing with the Holy Ghost. Uh, Verse 24, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. He was humbled. But there was something phenomenal that he saw when these people received the Holy Ghost. Judges, chapter 12. We'll go through a story here. Judges, chapter 12. And this is a type. The Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. So you may think it's a bit of a stretch, me uh, reading this out uh, when I'm talking about speaking in tongues. But uh, I'll explain it. Judges, chapter 12. Did I say that? Judges 12, verse 1. Judges, chapter 12, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. <laughs> Pretty extreme reaction, isn't it? Because you didn't ask us to, uh, to help you with this war, we're going to burn your house down with you and your family. How do you think Jephthah's going to react? <laughs> Verse 2, And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are you come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites, which was true. You know, half the tribe of Manasseh settled in Gilead. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, and the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay, then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth. 
for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 42,000. And Jephthah judged Israel six years, then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. So this story, you can imagine what it was like. Uh, The Ephraimites um, had a different accent to the Gileadites. Really, it's the other way around. The Gileadites spoke a bit different to the rest of Israel. And uh, the Gileadites could say Shibboleth, but the Ephraimites could only pronounce Sibboleth. They spoke the wrong language. And they were killed as a result. And there was a great slaughter, 42,000 people. It's a lot. It's a lot. Now, this is in the Old Testament as a type for us to remember that if we speak the wrong language, we will die spiritually. We're talking about speaking in tongues. We are given a pure language from God. If we despise that pure language from God, We will die spiritually. It's that stark. It's that stark. Yeah, okay, we can carry on our lives, you know, la-di-da-di-da, here on earth, you know. But the Lord wants us to think of it in a spiritual sense with this story, that we must speak the right language. We must speak the God-given language so that we can then freely pass over. We can freely be uh, with him in the kingdom. It's amazing when you think of this. The slight difference in pronunciation caused such a big difference. A slight difference in understanding of the importance of speaking in tongues makes a big difference. Oh, you don't really need to speak in tongues. It's an optional extra. No, speaking in tongues is vital. It's life-giving. It will save your life. We need to speak that pure language from God. Exodus chapter 28. Along that same line, again, as you know, it's in the Old Testament still, so it's a type of things to come. But the Old Testament has a way of showing how stark it is. And here, Exodus chapter 28. Um... Yes, so instructions here of uh, what uh, Aaron and the priests after him should wear when they went into the holiest of holies. Uh, Here we have uh, Exodus 28, and we'll start in verse 31. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be a hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof. It shall have a binding of woven work round about the hole of it, as it were the hole of a habergeon that it be not rent. So that's practical things. You've got a hole in this bit of fabric that slips over someone's head. You want it to be preserved, so you stitch it up. Um, verse 33, And beneath, upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister or to serve. And his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord. And when he cometh out, that he die not. 
So there's that word die again. So when the high priest went into the holiest of holies, as it says, before the Lord, he needed to move around. As a result of doing the work, he's jingling away. And because on the hem, there's a pomegranate and a bell, pomegranate and a bell, pomegranate and a bell, the bells are making that sound. And the reason this is required, it says that they die not. Let's say he got sick of the noise, it's annoying, you know, rattling away, I'm going to take all the bells off. And he went in there, he will die. That's how stark it is. There's a sound that preserves human beings when they enter the holiest of holies, when they enter uh, the presence of the Lord. So it's the type uh, of spiritual things. So when we enter the presence of the Lord, we need a sound, a pure sound that we die not. Um, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Revelation 5, and we'll start in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to even look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, that throne is the throne that God sits on. So it's symbolic, of course, and there's four beasts beasts there as well. And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. And that's Jesus Christ. Okay? This is the uh, root of David, the line of the tribe of Judah, the one that's prevailed and can open the book and break the seven seals, is sitting there in the midst with the throne and the beasts and the elders, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. You can read that in uh, chapter 2 and 3. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne i.e. God. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odours, or incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So here, in a symbolic sense, we've got this, uh, the lamb that has been slain, it says there, as it had been slain, sacrificed. And then the, uh, the um, four beasts and 24 elders worshipping there, and they had these golden vials full of incense. 
And that incense is the prayers of the saints, the prayers of those that have been separated for God, sanctified by God, filled with his Holy Spirit. The prayers, when we pray in the Spirit, this, uh, this incense wafts up and fills this um, spiritual room where God sits. And it was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now we are, in the Old Testament, they had a tabernacle uh, with the holiest of holies. Now it's a spiritual holiest of holies. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ that allowed the prayers of the saints to fill the place with incense. Now, we'll read the type of this in Leviticus chapter 10. So we're talking about prayers of saints now, where they're articulating uh, things, words, uh, in, in the spirit. And we'll read the type of it to get an idea of, okay, so we've got this, spiritual room that's filled up with the uh, incense, which is the prayer of the saints. But here, again, the way it's worded in this passage, or I'll read two passages, it's life and death. So Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, which we read in Revelation, and put fire therein and put incense thereon. Looks good and offered strange fire before the Lord. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, that there were tongues of fire from the Lord, the Holy Ghost and fire. It was the the right fire that came from God. So these two blokes, Nadab and Abihu, they were chosen by God to be high priests, they were children of Aaron, but they decided to offer their own fire, their own Holy Ghost experience, their own Holy Ghost understanding before the Lord which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I'll be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now there's only a couple of words there at the end of verse 3, but you can may well picture that when his two eldest sons were all of a sudden killed in the service of the Lord, what sort of panic and yelling and carrying on was Aaron in? Worried, what's going on here? Just stressed and concerned. But then Moses quoted this thing and Aaron held his peace, that it was all okay. Verse 4, and Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan and the sons of Aziel the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them off, carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Very dramatic. A dramatic scene. 
Go to uh, chapter 16. This basically follows straight on from it. And you'll see in the wording of it. Leviticus chapter 16 and uh, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with the linen girdle. And with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. So we read there back in Exodus, uh, this, this garment that has the bells on the bottom of it, on the hem. But also in verse 3, it refers to a sin offering. You know, and remember what we read in Revelation chapter 5. There was that sin offering, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So in order for Aaron and the high priest after him, there needed to be a sin offering and he needed to be wearing the right garments that made a noise while he walked around and did that, uh, did that work of the Lord. Down to verse 12. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So when we pray in the Spirit, we read in Revelation 5 that the, uh, the room was filled with the, the incense, the odours of the prayers of the saints, just like it did in this time with Aaron. And it filled it. It filled it up. So it was a cloud of incense that covered the mercy seat, which is where God sits. Uh, and upon the testimony, the miracles of God, that he die not. So when we pray in the spirit, it, it, in a spiritual sense, it fills up the, uh, the spiritual tabernacle of God where Jesus is, the lamb that was slain and covers the throne of God that we die not. So therefore, as I've said before, we are confident to enter the spiritual holiest of holies when we pray in the Spirit, no matter how wretched we feel, no matter how low we feel, no matter, like, and as we read in um, Zephaniah, not to dwell on our transgressions of the past, to forget that. It's set in concrete. You can't change it. It's set. But to look forward, you are still worthy to uh, get on your knees, pray in tongues. You will fill the room with the odours of your prayer that you die not. You are worthy to, uh, to pray. And that's how important it is, this praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. Over to uh, Jude. To, uh, to add more to that. I read this a couple of times lately. Jude and verse 20. This is a, a verse we all should know of by heart. Jude, verse 20. But ye, beloved... So uh, Jude is writing to his beloved, the people he loves. 
building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Your faith is diminished. You don't seem to have that faith in God. Well, how do you fix it? Practical advice. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues. Seek the Lord through the uh, power of the Holy Ghost, praying in tongues. Enter boldly into that holiest of holies with the Lamb that was slain, i.e. Jesus Christ, filling the room with the odours of your prayers, praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Penultimate scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church. There's such important words in this passage. Set some in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the logical answer to all those questions is no. In the church, the logical answer is no. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So here was this um, passage, I remember... I was actually living up in Geraldton. There was a lady who got baptised there and she was praying for the Holy Spirit. Uh, while I was there, unfortunately, she never received the Holy Spirit. But she asked me about this passage. I'd never really seen it before. Because it clearly says there's a list of um, things there. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and I suppose you could say fourth miracles, fifth healings help. And she goes, the last one is diversity of tongues. So even without the Spirit, she was reading this passage and she said the, the least important one listed here is speaking in tongues. And I actually thought about it for a moment. I said to her, well, yeah, that's right. Speaking in tongues is the least in the church. And why is it the least? Because we all speak in tongues. It's common to all in a Spirit-filled church is speaking in tongues. Everyone who is in the kingdom of God, in the, uh, the church, the bride of Christ, speaks in tongues. And, uh, and in the operation of the church meeting, as we have here, we, we know the structure, we know the frame, and uh, there are certain people that stand up and speak in tongues. We all don't do that, and we'll read that further in uh, chapter uh, 14. So read a few verses out here in uh, verse 14 to highlight the importance of speaking in tongues in the church. Verse 1, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries, or howbeit in the spirit he speaks an unknown tongue. Verse 3, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, to exhortation and comfort. 
He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? So here, as well, in, and um, there's another part as well, obviously Paul spoke in tongues. Um, if I come unto you speaking with tongues. So Paul uh, understood that. Verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I'll pray with the spirit in tongues, and I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not? What thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. What a bold statement. Paul here saying to the Corinthian church, I praise the Lord that I speak in tongues more than you all. So speaking in tongues is so important in your own personal private life. It's valuable, building up uh, your faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Um, so he thanks the Lord that he, he, he has opportunity to pray in tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Okay, be adults in understanding this and how it's applied. Howbeit in malice be your children, but in understanding be men or adults. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not for all will they not hear me, saith the Lord. And that we read that in Isaiah twenty eight at the start. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And the reason it's not a sign to those that believe is because those that believe actually speak in tongues themselves. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So prophesying is to edify the church. It's not a specific prophecy uh, unto a specific people. Uh, it's to edify the church. The church is made up of those that believe. And as we can see, those that believe, they speak in tongues. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? And uh, very well put there. If we're all prattling away in tongues, someone comes in and think, ah, something's crazy here. Just like on the day of Pentecost, people may think we are drunk or full of new wine. What is this? It's a mess. No, we don't want that. So down in verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. 
If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God doesn't like seeing confusion. And so whenever I'm uh, explaining things to people, I like to say the only time we speak in tongues in public is at a meeting with this structure, as we read here, two or three, followed by interpretation, and then two or three of prophecy. But speaking in tongues is a private thing in the spirit because people will think we are mad. Uh, That is the purpose of speaking in tongues. Evidence of the Holy Spirit, building up your faith in the praying in the Holy Ghost, and indeed it means that we are entering the holiest of holies. We are entering into the presence of the Lord, which is truly remarkable and truly um, uh, beneficial to us. 